Hey folks, this is Always Be Watching. It's our regular podcast where we discuss, wait for it, what we've been watching. My name is Dan Barrett and I'm joined here as always by Mr. Christopher Yates. Hi Dan, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, I call you Christopher. Does anyone call you Christopher? Um, not really, but I got no problem with it. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Makes me sound a bit more distinguished than I am. Makes you sound a lot more distinguished <laughs> than you are. Maybe at my funeral. <laughs> well, that's how they'll refer to me. Yeah, well, well, we'll find out next year. Hopefully, you'll be there. That's right. Yeah, Chris. Here's the premise of the podcast. I'm not sure if you know, but we've known each other for about 15 years. I had no idea of the time frame, but that sounds about believable. Yeah, I've done the math. I broke out the Google Calendar. I can confirm it is actually over 15 years. You weren't on the Google Calendar 15 years ago. Oh, you probably were, actually. Uh, when was Google Calendar? I don't know if it was... Look, I'm going to get onto the cal- calendars and I'm going to find out about the Google Calendar. Okay. Through the Google, tap it in, transfer it over to my iCal. It's going to be a whole thing. Excellent. However, as you're aware, we've known each other for 15 years. We've got a limited set of interests. The only thing we ever really discuss is what we've been watching on TV. And that conversation always begins with, what have you been watching? So we've brought the magic of that conversation to this here podcast. Yep. It's a, it's a high concept and it's working well. <laughs> it really is. People are talking, Chris. They're talking. Now, the other thing we do on the show is that when we're talking about the thing, like in real life, we don't know what the show is the other person's going to mention until we ask the question and then we get thrown into a whole new world of TV recommendation. And that's sometimes a recommendation. Check this out or give that one a bit of a steer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, Chris, let's do this. All right. Okay. But after I tell people, if you like this podcast, you're going to be listening to us for the next 20 odd minutes. Okay. While you've got the phone, you're probably going to be playing some, what do people play on their phones? Snake? Yep. Yeah. Snake 2. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking about 15 years. (laughs) But when they're playing Snake 2 on their phone, shut that down for a moment, head over to your podcast app, leave a little sneaky review for this podcast, give it the five stars I know you want it to, and get on with your game of Snake. That's a great idea. I was yeah. playing um, Tetris on my uh, phone for a while there, but it was getting in the way of my productivity on Facebook. Chris. Sorry, dude. I know you've been looking at Tetris a fair bit and obviously Facebook, mm-hmm. but outside of that, what have you been watching? Well, Dan, it's funny you should ask. I've been watching a little show on the Netflix called Afterlife. What'd you fancy? Mm, fish fingers and beans. Good choice. I think I'll have that. What can I get for you? Um, we're both having the fish fingers and beans, please. Uh, that's only on the children's menu, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm not very angry. I can't let you order that. What do you mean? It's for children. But I can eat what children eat, can't I? Yeah, but it's only four ninety nine. Yeah, I know, because it's a smaller portion. I'm paying child's prices, but I'm getting a children's portion. Yeah, but we made it cheaper because it's for kids. I know, because they're smaller. And it's smaller because they're small. It's not a concession. It's not because they're unemployed, is it? And also, an adult's paying, so... Is the rules? Is it? Hmm. Right. Well, he'll have fish, fingers and beans twice. No, but you're just going to eat one of them, aren't you? No. So what are you ordering, then? As I say, I'm not very hungry, so I'll just get a coffee. Afterlife, yes, it's the new um, Ricky Gervais uh, vehicle. Now, Chris, I'm going to be honest. I knew this was coming and I have not watched it purely because I think I'm a bit over Ricky Gervais. This is the problem, isn't it? It's a funny thing. We've had a long relationship with Ricky Gervais now because uh, he was considered a comedy genius at the height of his powers during his program, The Office. And believe that by other people, 
But now he's still considered a comedy genius, but really mostly by Ricky Gervais. Yes, I think so. I think he's about the only one there. Like, it's it's really hard because, you know, I spent a lot of time with him. It was interesting how The Office became like, oh, the US Office for the first sort of two seasons. And then <laughs> yeah. it became, oh, the US Office. And it was actually, you know, a much an, an entertaining romp for a while there. Mm. And um, obviously, you know, he has, uh, for better or worse, created this whole genre of well, not created by any stretch, but brought television life to this genre of faux documentary. Mockumentary, I think. A mockumentary, if you will, as um, as the famous uh, Rob Reiner says in the original. Rob Reiner? Uh, Which Reiner? In Spinal Tap? I think it's yeah, Rob Reiner. Yeah, Rob. Yeah. Um, no, well, it wouldn't be Carl Reiner. That's <laughs> no, generationally well out. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah. Rob Reiner. Um, so, obviously, I think we can date it all back to that. I reckon that was the first mockumentary, but who knows, I, really. I will confirm that is considered the first mockumentary. So, since then, Ricky Gervais has become a bit of a bore. I hate to sort of, like, you know, I, I really enjoyed his um, podcast that was then animated. I didn't listen to it as a podcast because that would be lame. I instead waited till it was a cartoon because cartoons <laughs> are cool. Maybe you'll listen back to this podcast when it becomes I a cartoon. Can't, I can't wait. Um, and, you know, with the adventures of him and, and Stephen Merchant, who's very, very funny. Mm. Um, I've heard of him. Perhaps the funnier of the two. I would confirm that is true. <laughs> and then, uh, and Carl and the Carl Pilkington. And, uh, so, anyway, we've had this very long ride with Ricky Gervais. He's become really kind of annoying. He did that whole stand-up comedy thing, which was just terrible. It was a kind of like evidence of... You know, it was sort of like, oh, it's shocking. He didn't come from the stand-up comedy background like so many before him do. He was just like a BBC drone writer in the room. And then he made this amazing show. And it's just kind of like, if you watch his stand-up comedy, it's obvious why he didn't become a stand-up comedian. So, anyway, we're at the stage now where Netflix is throwing money at everyone who's got this kind of, like, um, you know, credibility behind them, I guess, and a track record for doing great projects. So, I feel like we had extras. That was straight after The Office, I'm thinking, if I got my timelines right. Yeah, that seems about right. And are we just sticking to the TV or are we going to go for some of the fine cinematic <laughs> let's, parts let's, of this oeuvre? Uh, I'm going to leave that all well alone. because so, You're going to ignore Ghost Town? <laughs> yes, I, don't, I have no idea. I, I remember trying to watch one and just being like, oh my God, this is, this is just worse than when Coogan tried to break Hollywood the first time. Um, so yeah, you get this, you get this thing where he's, so he's kind of turned his mockumentary style into this more dramatic comedy kind of thing right so the premise of afterlife which is like all good british sitcoms uh a high concept sitcom i would call it or, or, or at least a conceptual sitcom um i don't know what his character's called ricky fat ricky he's back to being fat which is one thing that i liked about it mm. that's in the plus that's a tick in the plus column i didn't like it when he was pretending he was like not fat. Wearing like tight sort of black t-shirts. Oh, and like, you know, obviously working out and stuff. It's just, it's yeah. just sad. Unrelatable. Um, unrelatable. Stay, stick with your fat guy, uh, you know, shtick. It's a hero we can believe in. That's right. Um, so, fat guy Ricky is um, sad because his um, wife has died and he's a youngish man and doesn't really know how to deal with it. And so, he tried to, so he's tried to commit suicide and when that sort of failed, he then realises, well, now he can do whatever he wants in life and it doesn't matter because it's all just bonus now because he might as well be dead. So, it's kind of like in real life how he got a huge amount of money for selling his show to the US <laughs> and now because he's got all that money, he doesn't really care what people think or say. I think it's very safe to say it's a very much a, 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 a thinly um, 
Very much a thinly hidden metaphor there. Um, so it's kind of like, I think anyone who's seen any of those other shows, especially Derek, I didn't get to Derek before, but you know, Derek did this thing where it kind of tried to play on the heartstrings and, you know. Yeah, I know. It was like bits of it were maybe funny. There was, oh, well, you know, Carl, Pil- Carl Pilkington was a little bit funny. Um, you had the excellent um, Carrie Godleman, I think I've said her name right, um, who is also in this show. So he's surrounded himself with some of the better parts of his other shows. Um, Ashley Jensen, who was the other extra in Extras, is also in this show. She's also very, very good. Um, and there was one other excellent guest that I wanted to mention, which was um, Diane Morgan, who you might know better. Oh, I know as- her is, uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of the character's name. Uh, it's very- Phil- Philomena? Yep, Philomena Kunk. Yeah. Um, from the uh, Charlie Brooker wipe shows. And also from a series of specials where one of my favourites was Kunk on Shakespeare. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I'm definitely going to watch that. Um, so, you know, he's got some good people in it. Uh, she's amazing. I'd yeah, also just like she's to... she's amazing. Yeah. And very funny in this too. If people don't know her, like literally just type in Kunk into YouTube. <laughs> yes. I'm sure things won't go wrong for you. No. Uh, but yeah, you'll see some clips and she's one of these great sort of untapped talents. And that would be worth listening to the podcast alone. Um, so anyway, I found the in, I found the program entirely unenjoyable. I've watched three episodes <laughs> of it just because I'm a creature of habit and because yeah. it was somewhat familiar. Uh, I think it's really disturbing. He he's sort of like there's this kind of making light of suicide in a way that I guess he's trying to normalize or something like that. But there's what normalize suicide? Right, or, or like make it something that we talk about instead of something that we don't talk about, maybe. I don't really know what the point is. Like they're all kind of they're very sort of clumsy, almost humorous attempts at suicide, but they're very much, you know, screen depictions of him trying to commit suicide. As the band the fictional band in the movie Heathers, was it called Big Pig? <laughs> Big Fun. Big Fun. As Big Fun used to say, suicide, don't do it. That's exactly right. Um, another thing I wouldn't recommend Ricky doing anytime soon again is sitting in a bathtub. It's just like, we've kind of had enough of that. I don't think anyone needs to see that. Um, was now, was he just bathing? Well, it's tied into one of the suicide attempts, really, which ah, just made right, it even right, more right. distasteful. Um, but the, the thing I, f- I guess that I found really kind of crappy about it was that the whole premise is that then, you know, he can just do what he wants and be what he wants to do. And, um, you know, we've kind of got Larry David doing a much better job of that on Cope Your Enthusiasm without the, like, massive ridiculous concept behind it. Um, Ricky's approach to it is a lot more... And, I mean, it's, it'll be impossible to say he hasn't been influenced by that because it's kind of the whole, you know, that's how he... It's his, like, you know, we're living in a society kind of shtick where it's like, you know, he's he's wronged all the time by people that are serving him in shops and people that, you know, jump in queues and all this kind of stuff. He's just a complete jerk to heaps of service workers in, in the in the show, which I found very unrelatable. It's almost like learning the wrong lessons from Larry David. And it really it really felt a lot like that. Um, I've still... I still, he kind of feels like an an old, you know, Ricky kind of feels like an old friend who you sort of, you want to check in on and make sure he's okay every now and then. And whenever you do, you're just like, oh, I really just should have left him alone. There's a reason we haven't kept in touch. It's like, is the bus coming soon? Yeah. So it's kind of like, get me out of here. But anyway, I wanted to um, mention that there was a couple of very funny things. I, I, I thought that, um, which have nothing to do with the way the show was made. Um, one of the Netflix subtitles um, 
uh, at one point just said with it, talking about the music said melancholy piano in the background which kind of sums up the whole kind of drab vibe of these like you know trying to be feel good shows that he makes and then the um other thing that i thought was really funny was um oh no this is i actually thought this was quite cute because we know that um one of the things that of course we we love about ricky is that he is a dog lover he goes on the record often to defend animal rights and in particular he gets very uh you know activist around dogs which is a good thing dogs are awesome and so whenever the dog is referenced in the show i really liked in the subtitles it said brandy panting instead of dog panting it, it gave the dog's name which is probably yeah. more of props to um whoever does the subtitles so well done there for bringing a you know a, a shine of light to this otherwise dreary horrible experience now before i let the conversation move off this amazing tv show that you've brought to our attention <laughs> you mentioned earlier the great man stephen merchant yeah, no sign of him. Yeah, now Merchant obviously went off to the US. He's been like a bit part in like a few films around the place. He had his HBO show called Hello, Hello Ladies. Which, never, oh, I never saw that. You never saw that? No. It is so good. Oh, wow. It is a much better way to spend your time than watching this Gervais <laughs> joint. Putting it on my list. Well, then I guess my question's probably going to be a little bit um, lacking in value. But do you think there's any value in bringing like Gervais and Merchant back together? Like, do you think they could recapture a magic or do you think we should just let the love of the office just subside <laughs> well, and disappear in the sunset? Well, I think if people are going to keep giving Ricky Gervais money to make TV shows, which it seems like they do, I read up that it's already been, you know, commissioned for the second series or whatever. Mm. I, I then, think um, with a lot of the Netflix shows, they just commission two They do two at once. And announce, oh, look, it's being commissioned yeah, for a second yeah, it's one. so successful. Yeah. Um, but uh, for for the love of God, yes, get him back for this for the second series of this, and that would maybe give us something to uh, hang on to. Yeah, because post Hello Ladies, it's not like Merchants really been going off doing much of value. No, I don't. I, yeah, I didn't even know about that. So yeah, great HBO show, ran two seasons and a movie. Excellent. I'm definitely going to check that out. You'll love it. Uh, so anyway, that's it. It's called um, what's it called? Afterlife. Written, directed, starring by, and ruined by Ricky Gervais on Netflix. I just feel like, I just feel like, I don't know, I just kind of feel deflated after that one. So I'm really hoping that you can um, bring this conversation back to life a little bit. Dan, when I ask you, what have you been watching? Look, here's the thing. So that came out over the most recent weekend. That weekend, there were three big Netflix productions. And I noticed a lot of people talking about Afterlife. It was weird. I hadn't expected to see like that much, you know, attention on it. But the thing that caught my attention that weekend was a little program called Love, Death and Robots. When the yogurt took over, we all made the same jokes. Finally, our rulers will have culture. Our society is curdled. Our government is now the cream of the crop. And so on. But when we weren't laughing about the absurdity of it all, we asked ourselves... How did we ever get to the point where we were, in fact, ruled by a dairy product? Chris, are you across this at all? I have watched two episodes of Love, Death, Love, Death and Robots, which I watched last night, so they're fresh in my memory. Fantastic. So if you don't know the show, basically it is uh, two very talented people. You've got David Fincher, director of, I don't know, maybe some of the best movies ever made. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Fight Club, uh, recently Gone Girl. I'm a big fan of his Netflix series, Mindhunter. You've mentioned before. Yeah. Really into that program. Anyway, i got Fincher, who's like just this visionary genius. He's been teamed up with uh, Tim Miller, Rob Miller, Tim Miller. I'll have a look while you I'm keep going talking. Tim Miller, he's the gentleman who directed the Deadpool movie. Oh, and I yes. believe also may have done the second one. Actually, no, I don't think he did. I think he just did the first one. The first one was great. 
Yeah. <laughs> sure. People love it. Anyway, the two of them have come together for an anthology of animated shorts. So these are short episodes that run anywhere between six minutes to I think 17 minutes is the longest. And Netflix have put it out and it kind of reminded me a lot of one of my real, you know, influential, I guess to agree. It's, it's something that really sort of shaped my personality tastes when it comes to weird, abstract, strange things. Is this great show that came from MTV in the very late 80s, early 90s called Liquid Television. We saw it here in Australia on SBS in the early to mid 90s. I think it's a good five years after it may have actually debuted. Right. Okay. Still felt fresh. I discovered it as a teen in the mid 90s and it was amazing. It was this animated show where over a half hour you'd see, you know, just short cartoon after short cartoon. And I think the tunes then run between like 30 seconds to, you know, like seven or eight minutes. Uh, but characters like Beavis and Butthead came from this. Um, Eon Flux. Eon Flux. That's the main yeah. one I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And like it was just a great sort of collection of indie comic book artists of whom were just given the right to, you know, just do all sorts of crazy stuff. But that was firmly in my mind while watching Love, Death and Robots, which this is a thing where they've gone out to a whole bunch of animation companies from around the world. And I've said, hey, look, this is the kind of thing we're after. All the animated shorts have something to do with robots or the future or sex or love or something really taking place within it. And they've brought together, like, it's 18 shorts all up. And they're all wildly different. Like, animation style is, you know, vastly different. Some sort of look like they're cell animated. Others are photorealistic CG. Like, there's a really broad spectrum of content. And each one, like, their tone and texture, wildly different. But, Chris, what did you watch of them? So I watched the first two, um, which were, I'm just trying to get the episode titles up. Um, the first one was about giant fighting beasts yeah. that um, tore each other apart. And did you like that one? I liked it. Uh, and you're going to be mad at me, but I, it was not without its problems. Oh, I no, felt, I think it's got lots of problems. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, like there was things I really, really, there was a lot I really, really liked about it. Not least of all. The just brutality of the gore was just fantastic in this like in this cartoonish sense. And I'm not a big like I don't watch like gore. I'm not a big gore in real life kind of person. I'm the same, but sometimes it like suits it, and it's so over the top in a so, lot of these shorts. Yeah, and it was yeah. like very Japanese influenced, obviously. But then the style of it was very you know very American cartoon. Mm. Um, and we should say this one: it's like a computer animated thing. It's not quite photorealistic, but it's definitely a high quality. Yeah, it's realism. Yes, people definitely. look realistic. Yeah, and and so it's basically about these. Uh, so the concept is that it's a fighting arena with these giant big beasts, and people um, wear some kind of device on their head that uh, allows them to control the beasts, so they're inside it. Uh, and you know, I think that um, so it's kind of like an ultimate fighting, like yeah, MMA fighter sort of a thing. Yeah, like every fighting, you know, like <laughs> it's, it's cockfighting. You know, like, yeah. let's not get too uh, let's. Yeah, it's cockfighting, but um. Uh, you know, like obviously, it it okay. There was a couple of quotes. All I did today to start this conversation was Google the the episode. You know, I just Googled Love, Death, and Robots, and like went straight for the um headlines from the uh, from the think pieces that have obviously popped up already. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a publication called Digital Spy, which I don't know anything about. Uh, it's a UK publication. It's a UK publication that talked about specifically in the first episode the uh, you know the blatant well the, the like female nudity which seems which seems like a weird kind of 
uh, thing to be offended by considering how in you know in the old days we wouldn't be offended by that considering the gore and the other very offensive concepts that happened throughout the episode but it did seem very tacky and it seemed very sort of um wedged in there to kind of further uh make it uh, uh, popular with this kind of disgusting brand of like you know internet viewer kind of toxic male audience here's the thing i think of all the shorts this is the one that's probably the most blatant and egregious with just like cramming some nudity in where it didn't really quite need to be there there's a sort of uh lesbian ish kind of a scene taking place it just kind of felt a little bit on the nose it was just like this is for the teenage boys it was but i think that while the short itself it was called sunny's edge while i don't think that really worked entirely and i was sitting there and a lot of it i found just really off-putting I think it's actually very beneficial being the first animated short where it's definitely, I think, in one of the lower third um, of all the shorts. But I think it sort of sets this expectation for what you're going to experience throughout it. I would recommend anyone watching this should definitely watch at least three shorts back to back. So you really get that sort of sensation of just different types of stimulation just being thrown at you one after another. And after the three, you'll be like, oh, okay, this actually is really quite a different sort of a palette. Yeah, like place. I was, I was, I was sort of already, um, you know, had the second episode been more of the same, I definitely wouldn't have kept going. But the, because the second one was so different, it was really funny. It was a really uh, so the second episode involved, um, th- it's called Three Robots, I reckon, and it was um, just basically three very different robots, kind of um, tour- being tourists in a post-apocalyptic world where all the humans are dead. Yeah, so you got all these dead bodies just lying around, skeletons, and and it was done very funny. It was really, it was really great, and and you know, so far away from what another publication called. And this was really good. I thought, like, the, again about the first episode was that it was made by two dudes, um, <laughs> you know, specifically for edge lords. Yeah, and it shows, and that's totally it. But but yeah, so and also there's kind of nothing wrong with that as a genre. Like there's an audience for oh, sure. There's yeah. plenty of edge lords out there, but that wouldn't be for me. But so like I've, I found that it was I was really glad that you know to see it move away from that so quickly because it's, I mm. mean I love animation and I really love science fiction and I really wanted to see I wanted to enjoy this especially after the little bits and pieces that I'd seen. So I was glad that we weren't too hung up. You know I'm glad that there's and as you say that it's not a lot of that in the whole series. That's probably a really good thing. Yeah, so, look, I don't want to sort of suggest that there's no nudity or anything like that coming up in I've other I've read about shorts. some of the other episodes. Yeah. So, the third one is actually, I think, probably one of my favourite ones. And this, I don't think I actually wrote down the name of it. I'll uh, get it while you talk. It's called The Witness. Okay, and this is a thing where you see a woman of whom has looked outside of a window. She's wearing very little. So, she's, I think she's got maybe a jacket on. I'm trying to remember. But she looks across the street and sees in like a window, like in a Hitchcockian sort of a way, a murder's taken place. The guy who's just finished doing the murdering looks over and sees her and he's like, there's a witness. So obviously he needs to get her. So the entire short is basically her running through the streets to get away from him. She ends up getting in a cab. She goes to her workplace where she actually works in like this BDSM sort of a venue. It gets weird and wild and very strange. This is all very photorealistic as well. Like the animation on this one is gorgeous. Uh, and then as it goes on, you start to realize what's actually really taking place within this. And it's kind of depending on your sort of tastes and what you sort of think about as you're watching this, you'll probably have a different sort of a reaction. But I really like the sort of interesting mix of photorealism. I like just the nudity for nudity's sake. There was kind of yeah. something fun about it. And it's more fun in retrospect when you reach the end and realize kind of what's taking place. Sure. 
Uh, but I kind of like that. And I like the way that it went from photorealism. It's also using like onomatopoeia on screen in a way that, you know, like the old Batman show, like if there's a biff or a bam, like there'll be some sort of written expression of that on screen. It kind of does that to a certain degree. So like there's a sense of like really hearkening to the idea of what animation can do, which is bring a moment to life in a way that you couldn't if you were just capturing real people. Yeah. And like when you look at this sort of photorealistic animation, you're like, well, why bother doing this? Because you could just film somebody doing this. But I think that the benefit, and this is what I really came to understand while watching a lot of these shorts, is that you can have uh, people partaking in this but if you've got, like, say, a very graphic sex scene, which there's one that takes place in a space station and, you know, like, about halfway through this thing, and that, again, is, like, really photorealistic, it's very male gazy, which kind of, you know, that, that's probably the more uncomfortable, um, yeah. you know, sequence from the entire series. Uh, but, like, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, you've got these um, animated characters of whom, if they're real-life actors, you probably couldn't get them to do this sort of stuff yeah, sure. or you wouldn't be able to get the caliber of actor that you're really after. But also I was thinking about the idea of sex and sexuality as depicted through animation as opposed to doing it through, you know, an actual real-life physical embodiment. And I think maybe what you can do is you can actually make... Because sex on screen, okay, I don't think it ever really feels that sexy. No. Okay, you can kind of have moments that before the acts that kind of feel was a little bit sexy, but like it never really does much. But I was thinking with animation, you can actually play around with the physicality of people and you can, you know, bring you, you, that to life. I feel like you're revealing something about well, yourself I was, here, No, because I was just trying to think in my mind, sort of what is it that you can sort of do with animation that, you know, you're inhibited with by shooting real people. And I was thinking like if it's, you know, a couple sort of together, you can sort of see like, you know, goosebumps on like skin sure. or like you can bring like just these smaller bits of physicality to the screen. Sure. You're looking at me with this. <laughs> thing. But no, because you can very blatantly just replicate two people going at it on a bed I, I think i understand what you're saying yes but there's it's... just something you can do visually to make it a bit more yeah hmm. Hmm. it's interesting <laughs> don't look at me like that <laughs> no no i'm, I'm just, not on trial here i'm just being a child <laughs> but uh yeah no that's well that's an interesting take on it um something that i wanted to also mention is that you know very recently i rewatched blade runner which i do every however long because i do it quite often because it's um the amazing best, the best film ever made um, but you know, like, sorry, you have seen Police Academy Four. <laughs> yeah, I have, which with you and you know damn yeah. well I have. So you should know better. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very easy to overlook the fact that in Blade Runner, you know, almost three quarters of the movie is Deckard hunting down women and shooting them and like treating them very terribly. And yes, they're robots, but there's this kind of like, but they're also robots that are made to look and feel like women. Yeah, and there's, I guess there's just this sort of violent sexuality behind, you know, what is considered the sacred cow of, of, of science fiction that, um, you know, isn't really that much more, uh, isn't that much more hidden or justified than what um, a few of these shorts are that are being torn apart. And that's not to say that they shouldn't be getting torn apart over those things. It's just sort of like there is a precedent with that in one of the highest regarded, you know, films of the genre. So take that into account or something i don't know i think people should sit down because there's 18 all up you can watch like three or four in like a hour yeah, yeah. actually and half an hour yeah really. there's 17 minutes roughly yeah. i think right you can get through a whole bunch of these with like very little time spent on it i think it takes about like three and a bit hours or lot to watch the whole yeah, thing yeah right yeah so it's a very comfortable watch but if you're going through it like if you're not digging something okay like if it really isn't for you yeah sure just flip to the next one because i think you're probably going to find something for you uh, there's so many different sort of animation styles and highlights for me. Uh, first of all, there's that second episode, Three Robots. I think that's just oh, phenomenal. It was amazing. Me too. I thought it was so good. 
Um, I think there's one which it's certainly not my favorite by any means, and I don't think that the execution of it's particularly amazing. But just in terms of the quality of the animation and just that ability of showing humans on screen and maybe sort of leading towards what this maybe could be as opposed to what it is, there's an interesting one called Beyond the Aquila Rift, which is this thing with a really blatant sex scene. It's just kind of a little bit gross and malgazy. I think worth watching it for possibilities rather than what it actually is. Sure. Yeah, because uh, you haven't seen anything like this on screen. Uh, one to avoid is this terrible one called The Dump. Okay. Okay, and it's like by itself, it's fine, but like you've got better things to do with your time. Right. It's, it's just, not on the same level as the rest of them. No. There's an amazing one called Helping Hand, which is very much uh, Gravity, the Sandra Bullock film, meets 127 hours. <laughs> and if you know what goes on in that film, and I don't want to ruin it in case you don't know what happens in that film, but it's, you know... It's, it's pretty special. Surely that's how it was pitched. <laughs> oh, look, I'm sure it is because there's nothing more to it than just that as an idea. Wow. But it's outstanding. Uh, if you're a big fan of Samira Wiley from uh, Orange is the New Black, oh, Handmaid's yes. Tale, uh, she's in uh, You're the Worst in the second and third seasons for a bit. Uh, she's in one, which is again another photorealistic animation, uh, but it's her as the pilot of Lucky 13, which is like a... Um, there's probably a name for them. This sort of cargo vessel that would drop off soldiers to like a scene. Anyway, like flyers and you know stuff. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's one of these things. The people know. Anyway, she's in one of these and being number 13 of the fleet, like it's considered unlucky because a whole bunch of people have been terribly, brutally murdered like <laughs> during missions. But she seems to make it work. Okay. Really fun seven or eight minutes of that one. There's some really great stuff in there. There's some a bit average stuff. Okay. But if you're looking for any of them, there's one, it's about yogurt. I don't want to say anything more than that. <laughs> it's the shortest one of the lot, so it's only about six minutes long. Well, and it's got some... Uh, it's called When the Yogurt Took Over, and you'll find the narration being done by Maurice LaMarche, who's the brain from Pinking the Brain. Oh, my God. That's a big plus, too. Yeah. I didn't realize they were so varied in their length, but that's an interesting thing as well. I think, yeah. like, the, the 17-minute episode-ish... It's just so good. Like, I'm already like, you know, I'm already like, let's make every TV show 17 minutes long. Absolutely. It was so fantastic. Yeah. And that's what I like about the shortness of these as well, where if you're not digging it, just make it through to the end. There'll be something else coming very shortly. Yeah. Very interesting. But yeah, um, it's probably not going to be for everyone. And like your interest in animation probably varies a little. I reckon you could almost tell if it's from you just by looking at the still from the... You know, from the preview, because it's so like, you know, it's... Ca- it's probably it, about right. Yeah, it's um, you can judge it by that to some degree. So that's Love, Death and Robots. It's currently streaming on Netflix. 18 parts. I kind of wish that I'd edited them together to be like half hour blocks rather than things that you can kind of skip through. But anyway, minor quibble. Chris Yates, my friend, what have you been watching? Well, this is a, a program that's been around for quite a number of years. I can't, I can't actually remember when it started, but I was compelled to talk about it today because it's popped back up on the ABC, and it is called Review with Miles Barlow. I'm sure you're familiar with this show, Dan. Look, I'm very familiar with this. <laughs> I just, I loved it so much. You're watching Review with Miles Barlow, the show where I review anything. Coming up on the program, lock up your daughters as I play wingman to an unsavoury chap. And later, bon voyage as I take a holiday to the heart of uncertainty. But first, Crystal Wilson of Pepperfield writes, Dear Miles, I'm really attracted to my best friend's boyfriend. It's totally wrong.com, but I can't help it. He's just so yummy. He's always checking me out, so I know I could steal him if I wanted to. I don't want to hurt Renee, but she stole him from Sophie anyway, so maybe it's just karma. Would it be worth losing Renee's friendship for this guy? Crystal. 
Crystal's conundrum may appear to be about love, but in fact, it's about stealing. So just what drives one to appropriate another's property? So this is a conceptual show. It's a very simple concept. Miles Barlow is a reviewer who, instead of reviewing films or books or movies, just reviews things about life. Everybody wants to do this. Everybody goes through life going like, that was a terrible experience. I should write a review about it. No, maybe they don't go that far. But we all have these thoughts, right? Yeah, so this actually got remade in the US as a review with uh, Forrest McNeil. Yeah, the actor's name is Andy Daly. I yeah. That up. He's very funny. He's a very funny guy. I don't like the US version that much, but I love this Australian one. I don't think the US version did it as well. And I mean, that that happens a lot. But I think it's mostly just down to the personality. Like, I just think Miles Barlow, which I think is his real name. Is it not? No, no it's not. <laughs> um, I assumed it was when I first watched it. Uh, but he's just so dry, so very funny. I mean, I guess he kind of, in a lot of ways, takes cues from um, Australian reviewers such as... Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. I'm going to say David from the movie show. What do you think? I don't know. Are there other... Uh, wh- where do you think he's pulling his cues from? Or is it... Look, I think he's just playing standard reviewer. Just being as reviewer-like as possible. But he's also doing it in the most sort of pompous, like, private schoolboy way possible. Yeah, it's this, like, clearly sort of faux intellectual approach at, at reviewing the things in daily life. So, I mean, I don't know if I... It's hard to kind of explain the concept, so I'll just talk about the, the activities that are reviews in episode one. Um, are stealing, where, mm. whereby he starts by just stealing a few little things from around that place. How many stars does he give that? And, and um, he graduates to armed robbery. That gets three stars. <laughs> um, running out your partner in the cricket, one star, a demoralizing experience. Um, one of the best segments of the first episode is being a dickhead. So <laughs> Five whereby, stars. Whereby he, um, there's a whole lot of dickhead behavior, but eventually becomes a toolie at um, on the Gold Coast at schoolies <laughs> with a bunch of other toolies. Yeah. He finds it invigorating and quite liberating and gives it four stars. Um, bush ranging, one star. Obviously, not as easy in our modern times with people have cars <laughs> and you're on a horse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the, the final segment of the episode was Risk, in which he um, smuggles some um, heroin, I'm, I think, <laughs> uh, inside his body out of Southeast Asia. Uh, which he also gives four stars, mostly because he successfully gets here and is able to buy a jet ski with his profits. Fantastic show. I think, uh, yes, I agree. Definitely better than the American version. Um, I think there was about three seasons of that. I think it's only two seasons and it's super cheap. Like, very, Oh, yeah the, yeah, the values of it. Like if you, And it's the kind of thing I tried watching it with somebody who just was like, I hate this guy. And then it was, so that's it. It's over if you don't like him because it's yeah. all about him and his personality. But I just found him amazing and... You know, the really, uh, really kind of tries to do some despicable things, which I just, which is just fantastic. Okay, two anecdotes. A few years ago, I found a whole bunch of Review with Miles Barlow DVDs in a discount bin. Wow. So I think I picked up like about seven or eight of the first season for like two bucks each. Wow. And I just gave them around to everyone. <laughs> just like just everyone you read into that day. That's it. So I know the people that watched it because they're the ones that mentioned it to me like the next day. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And those people loved it. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot to love, I but think. The rest of the people are the worst. And then my other anecdote is that Phil Lloyd, who plays the aforementioned Miles ah. Barlow, uh, I met him because he was working as the head writer on another Australian comedy. Anyway, I had to, I was there on professional capacity. I was interviewing him about the show being, you know, the professional that I am. Yes. Reached the end of the interview, get a quiet moment or two, and it's like, oh, Phil, 
Nice work. Love really liked work. the show. Oh, God. And he was very excited to talk about it. Wow, it's great. Well, I was glad yeah. to see, because it felt like it just kind of disappeared, other than the fact that it obviously got, you know, it, it got sold on, which is a great thing for the show. Mm. But it was great to see it pop back up on there, because it'll give everyone a chance to see it again. Absolutely. The Australian one works in a way the US one doesn't, because in Australia, he just reviews shows and things go poorly, and then he reviews them. In the US one, they try to explain the premise and the setup a little bit too much yeah, as to yeah, why yeah. it is that he's out there reviewing things. And there's this offsider and it's just, it's overly explained, which yeah. just kind of kills the comedy of it entirely. Yeah, that's what's kind of like, it's just so taken for granted that, oh yeah, he's a guy that reviews stuff that happens, which is yeah. fantastic. And that's all you need. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so that is on ABC and I don't know when they're actually broadcasting it, but you can of course see every episode I think at the moment on iView. Dan, what have you been watching? Chris, I said there were three things that debuted on Netflix over the weekend. Oh, yes. I'm going to talk about the third one. This is something which I'm not going to spend much time on this one at all. It's called Triple Frontier. What's the plan here? We're going to get that money back over that mountain to the ocean. Benny, cover us from under that tree line there. Fish, you take a position up there. That's cocaine they're growing. So they may have weapons trained on us from those buildings right there. We got working radios? No, comms are dead. Go with hand signals. Hope and I'll get out there and look as peaceful as we can. We'll give you a hand signal when we think it's secure. Okay, so you like Narcos, right? Uh, I haven't watched Narcos, but it's, I'm sure it's something I would like. Everyone loves Narcos. Yeah. I've seen a few episodes, it's all right. Here's the thing. If you could have Narcos, but have Oscar Isaac starring in it, like, you know, you're going to want to watch that. Throw in maybe like a Ben Affleck in there. Like, that becomes a little bit watchable, you know. Really? Yeah. I like Affleck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you put this out there as the two-hour feature film from uh, JC Chandor, who's a very good film director as well, the film doesn't really quite work. It's kind of fun. It's there's like a scene where they throw a donkey off a cliff. And you're watching that and it's like, you know what? I don't see that in movies very often. No, that, think, is, that is That different. poor donkey. Uh, it starts the heist movie, becomes something else. A donkey loses its way. If that sounds interesting to you, you're going to sit down on the couch for about two and a bit hours. You're probably going to have a good enough time with it, but nobody's watching this thing a second time. That seems really strange. Okay, That's I've the, got the end poster. of my review. <laughs> really? I'm looking at the poster. It seems... Uh... It's in a way that at the beginning of this, we were talking about Love, Death and Robots, and you were talking about that first short being for Edgelords. Yes. In the way the Edgelords you were talking about, maybe the sort of interest towards like sci-fi fantasy, the people of whom are interested more in, say, the Edgelords, who are after something which is a bit like rugged sort of masculinity oh, yeah, yeah, with yeah, like yeah. guns and stuff, they're watching this one. Interesting to put Ben Affleck in that film then. What, he's not edgelord enough for you? <laughs> I don't know. No, he's, he's a total jerk. But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, this looks absolutely terrible. I thought I'd made the worst decision by watching Ricky Gervais, but obviously there was a there was a further worst decision that could have been made. And here's the thing. I don't think it's a bad movie, but it's not a great movie. If you're just after something which is just shamelessly, hey, look, there's going to be some guns. There's going to be a couple of quips of dialogue, which is kind of half funny. And you just want to see really Oscar Isaac on screen. Yeah. Like, you're not going to have a bad time with her, but sure. it's, you're not recommending it. All right. Yeah. And so, therefore, I'm not. <laughs> How many stars would you give it, Dan? I would give this two and a half stars. Oh, that doesn't seem that bad at all. No. Um, I've watched worse things this weekend. I'm only asking for the stars, obviously, because we were just talking about review. We're not going to put stars on things. It's a God, terrible no. idea. And so, this was on Netflix. On Netflix streaming now. Let's get out of here. This is the end of the podcast. Yes. I've already done all the promotion of things. So what if we just say farewell? Thank you for listening. Send us a message. Tell us what you've been watching. Yeah. 
And you can find us on the website, alwaysbewatching.com. There's a Facebook group. There's everywhere. Just type in always be watching into your Bing, Ask Jeeves. <laughs> you type it into Ask Jeeves, exactly. Yeah. You'll find us very quickly. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Chris.